Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. This is Doug Tonis discussing our Chicago Bulls. And this week we have a special guest, Michael Walton, editor at the Action News Network. Is that right? Is it Action News uh, Network? It's just Action Network. Action actually. Network. Yeah, Action News Network sounds like that's now from a TV show. I <laughs> think what it is, but the Action Network. Uh, thank you, Michael, for joining me on the show. Uh, how are you doing today? Good, good. No problem. For Thank you for having me. And uh, also, of course, always obligatory shout out to Bulls Confidential, the great Bulls community, Doug, that of course you would know all about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a while since, uh, since I wrote there. I was uh, glad to see someone's keeping it going. And uh, you guys have done a nice job of uh, just like sprinkling in content over the years. It's, uh, it's just good to see that it's still alive, uh, which is always fun. So let's dive into uh, this this last game which was somewhat of a disaster i don't know i i'm not like that excited about wins or losses this year honestly so i'm i wasn't as emotionally moved but i'll tell you my story i was i was out uh, with a couple friends last night my wife and i and, and two friends who uh, we generally stay uh, stay kind of low-key during the pandemic but it was his mm-hmm. 50th birthday and we wanted to to celebrate a little bit so it was whatever small group okay a special occasion and yeah i'm watching uh, the game just i'm uh, not watching i'm i'm following the game on my phone off and on and so, like, I see we're down by 15, and I'm, like, in my head, I'm saying, like, you know what? They've come back a lot. The Blazers are terrible defensively. I wouldn't be surprised if we make this a game. 15 minutes later, check in. It's, like, maybe 111-110, something like that. More or less a tie game. And I'm, like, all right, all right, that's great. You know, I'm not surprised. That's awesome. Can't wait to see what happens here. You know, check in, see the Bulls are up by five with, like, 30 seconds left. And I'm, like, oh, this game is in the bag. <laughs> and then I look and we lost by one and I'm like, what the hell happened there? Uh, and then I, you know, I watched the full game this morning and, and saw everything. And uh, man, like I, I can't imagine the roller coaster ride that would have been live because uh, it happened so quickly. You know, it just was so fast. Yeah. yeah so down. <clears throat> watching the game live, I, I was just sitting here pretty much my, my roommate and I, we were just sort of taking the game in. Uh, I think maybe watching something else on a second screen, because as you said, it was going Pretty poorly. Bulls were losing by a lot. Um, suddenly, I think maybe late third quarter, early fourth, we're like, all right, it seems like the Bulls are making a little bit of a push here. Let's actually pay attention. Um, all of a sudden, I think in the span of maybe two Zach Levine threes and a Kobe White three, <laughs> all of a sudden the Bulls are down by one. And it's like, oh, man, we got a game here. So um, it definitely was a roller coaster ride. <clears throat> I would say I'm, I'm the same as you, Doug. I don't take much into the wins or losses this year. It's all about the progress you see from the young players with the Bulls being an extremely young team. Um, but I did go on a little bit of it, not even a Twitter rant. I just had the knee-jerk reaction. Uh, it was one of the worst jump ball calls I've absolutely seen in my life easily. Um, you know, people can say I'm being biased as a Bulls fan, but you can see the clip easily by now. And Zach Levine gets tied up by, I believe, uh, I believe it was Gary Trent Jr. And, and I can't remember who the second player is, but they're literally grabbing Levine from behind and in front of him. It doesn't look like either player is really getting the ball. So, you know, that was the jump ball call that set up Damian Lillard's ridiculous three. Um, all credit goes to Lillard for hitting that shot. But yeah, it's just unfortunate in a game. It really felt like the Bulls deserved to win. Um, of course, you know, another unfortunate call goes against them. But overall, there, there are much more important things that happened in that game outside of losing it and the call itself. 
Yeah, I'd be interested to see the last two minute report. I've been like just refreshing the page every few hours to see if it's <laughs> up yet. Just 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 to see like, hey, are we gonna are we gonna have this one come back? Because yeah. it it kind of felt like that there's a pretty good chance that they're gonna look at that and say that was a foul. Uh, it was a quick jump ball call too, and it clearly was contact on the back and on the arms. And I just I hate that call when they like let that incidental contact go, and then they call a jump ball on like. You know, like just, oh, I had my hands on the ball for like a half second. Like clearly Gary Trent Jr. did not have equal control to the ball at any point to Zach Levine. Exactly. If if you're not going to call the foul on like the touch contact, you can't call a jump ball on like, yeah, I sort of had the ball for a quarter second. Like you got to give equal shift there then. And you got to say like, you know, otherwise it's a foul. Like if you're going to call that kind of touch thing. So I'm with you. That was awful. Yeah, and I and I love playing, you know, armchair GM, armchair ref, but there are way too many armchair head coaches on Twitter last night, you know, sort of going, well, Zach could have took a few more dribbles or he could have turned his body a certain way. You know, maybe we're being homers, but just watching the tape, it doesn't look like there's anything tremendously different uh, Zach Levine could have did. You know, like you said, he, he did what players do when your team's up. Uh, he waited for the contact, and it's unfortunate. But as Zach said postgame, uh, no excuses. The Bulls should have been able to stop Lillard from making that shot. But just to point out the thing that I thought was most important from this game, I joke about Felicio getting minutes because, I mean, he, he's past the point of being an NBA player, I think. Um, <laughs> but he did get five minutes in this game, committed a foul. The reason I brought up Felicio is because I think Billy Donovan, you know, even if it's maybe just not really a big deal, he's going to look at anything at center, it feels like, other than Gafford. Uh, Gafford, again, started a game and only played 10 minutes. Uh, finished with four points and five rebounds. So I'm really worried about Daniel Daniel Gafford's progress, or I guess lack thereof, um, because when Wendell Carter is out with injury, this is the time you expect Daniel Gafford to step up and be a really key contributor. Yeah, he's been really poor. I mean, I, I mean there was a lot of talk earlier because he came in with high energy off the bench and beat up some backups. And a lot of yeah. teams play a really small backup center, and you know, he gets a lot done on the offensive glass or when – on a pick and roll where they just double the ball handler and he's wide open for a dunk and he can add a lot of excitement type plays, but fundamentally he doesn't really offer that much, which is fine for a backup center. I'm, I'm okay. Kind of like, I don't care if Gafford develops a whole lot. He's, he's a guy who'll probably be in the league for 10 years as a backup center playing 10, 15 minutes a night. And exactly. And that's exactly. fine. That's a, it's a quality pick for your second rounder. I mean, like I'm not upset about that at all, <laughs> but yeah, he's not, not a starting center. I, the thing that struck me that is most interesting about this is like Luke Cornett is not getting a look. And I'm just like, man, how bad must Cornette be that they're playing Felicia over him? Like, <laughs> that's actually a key point. And he was a big that's crazy. And he was a big free agent signing of the the past regime that, you know, he was going to really stretch the floor and maybe provide some surprising defense next to market. And so it's funny. I think I saw you, Doug, bring him up on Twitter. And I, you know, I used to give a lot of shit to Chandler Hutchinson, but um you know, I did not even really think about Luke Cornett being on the team. So you actually have, I think, perhaps the greatest point that, that any any Bulls fan has made recently, that just like Cornett should at least be getting somewhat of a look with the lack of, you know, great play you're getting from center right now. Yeah, um, you'd think yeah, so. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you'd think amazing. so. They could get something. I, I don't know. It's just it's just odd. Like Felicio clearly is it's not. I, 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 to be fair, though, in his five minutes, he made one amazing pass. Yeah, he did and have the no-look like, like yeah. no pass. It like totally 
totally fooled everyone. Like everyone was jiving out to the corner. I was like, holy cow. I think that was like too, uh, I think that was a pass to a cutting Otto Porter for a layup. And I think on the replay you could even see Otto laughing almost yes. as he lays up the ball. Like I didn't I didn't see this coming. No one saw that coming. I was that was amazing. I, I was like so excited. I um, I actually thought Felicio looked kind of okay in his five minutes. I mean, not yeah, like, he, not amazing, but like, not not, not groundbreaking. Okay. But hey, the guy was a minus one in his five minutes. So Felicio's like, don't look at me. I didn't do anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. he, he well, tried. we lost by one point, so you know. Yeah, he's like, hey, he's like, I was out there. He's like, I was a game changer. <laughs> yeah, I, I that, was, um, that was interesting. But yeah, I I think it's odd. Cornette doesn't play. I. I think on our, we did the Knights of the Round Ball with Fred the other day, on which I think is on YouTube somewhere. And and uh, you made the excellent point that Thad Young at center is really what the Bulls probably need to do. And I, I think Thad Young was outstanding in this game. And I, I feel you just got to play him and Markkanen in the starting lineup. I think you got to get Gafford out of there. Uh, that's that's my opinion. I, I think on nights of the round table, while while just because numbers wise being a big advanced stats guy, you know, the lineups with Thad Young at the five are through the roof for the Bulls in terms of net rating usually. I was reluctant to do it because it feels like against the biggest teams, you want a guy like Gafford just out there. Um, but with the ga- the way the games have been trending, I think I got to, you know, side with sort of where you were leaning, Doug, that you need to get that in, in the starting lineup at the five and just sort of see how it goes with him and market and then sort of work your bench how, how you can. Because in that one point loss to Portland, um, Thad Young, eight points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists. I mean, obviously, you know, he's not going to keep up uh, a Jokic-like production, but it seems like since that's been getting a lot of minutes and getting a lot more, like, ball-handling opportunities, you've seen him really open up as a playmaker, and we all know the Bulls can use all the positive playmaking they can get. Is that the most Joakim Noah stat line you've ever seen? <laughs> like, he's like a, he's yeah. points shy of a triple-double. Like that's that's like I, I don't know. Like Joakim knows the only other guy I could think of off the top of my head who. Yeah, the I only Joakim difference is Joakim would have like he would be like ten for like fifteen from the free throw line, and he would maybe have like six blocks in there <laughs> <laughs> just for good measure. But yeah. it did remind me of a Joakim Rodman something weird set. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of like this odd guy. Like I don't really score. I mean, Thad can score though comparatively to Joakim. He just he didn't have a great shooting night for whatever reason. But I. I've uh, I agree. I think you got to get that out there. And I, I guess it kind of depends though. Like the, the end is like, are you trying to win games? Are you trying to develop players? Uh, the thing I, I think, and you didn't explicitly mention it, but with, with Gafford, the problem is he's big, but he doesn't defensively rebound. Like he's, yeah. he's an awful he, defensive rebounder, which is just bizarre given he's an amazing off, uh, offensive rebounder. And part of it is offensive rebounding is more quickness. Defensive rebounding is more, you know, strength and boxing out and, it's not so surprising Gafford's better at at the quickness part than the other part. Yeah. And it's not something that I've ever dug like as deep as I want to into it, but I would assume Gafford the way he plays seems like he's usually chasing blocks a lot on defense. So I'm going to guess he's probably out of position a lot, but it's just interesting that 10 minutes a game, you know, I know I do expect too much out of Gafford because I remember early on, um, his freshman year in college, I was in on him as like a lottery pick type guy. And then he went back and it really tanked his stock. And a lot of us couldn't understand why Gafford went from a lottery pick to after an extra year in college, all of a sudden a second rounder. Um, and now you're sort of seeing it, as you said, Doug, he is just going to be, you know, he's a backup big, but a very good backup big. But when you have to rely on him, uh, you know, it's tough to really see the production. So um, I think, though, you brought up a good point that I sort of almost like we're on the same wavelength trending towards with the way Thad Young's playing, you know, 
do you want to start him? Because again, the key is, are you necessarily trying to win games? I think it also brings up the question is as we trend closer to March and the trade deadline, do you want to look at trading some of these guys? Um, Because I think I was originally on with a few of the Bulls confidential guys. They were on the same wavelength that you can't trade these vets because the team is playing well, you know, they're getting along, but you look at a night where Thad Young has 11 assists, and I think you almost have to strike while the iron is hot and maybe look at trading some of these guys to try to pick up some draft assets and what right now is shaping up to be a really, really talented draft class. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to me how late the talent lasts. Like, you know, it's like there's yeah. a, a superstar at the top of the draft in Cade Cunningham. And so a lot of times when that happens, people are like, ah, we want to get in on Cade. This is a great draft class. Now, I know there's also a few other guys – like three, four other guys who are look like outstanding prospects as well. But like, we're not going to get a pick in the top five for Thad Young. Like even any, any pick we trade for will have protection on it against those guys. So now like, and and maybe it's still a really great class around pick 15, but that's probably more realistically around the type of slot you uh, pick, you might get for Thad Young if you were to move them. And I'd still probably do that. Uh, You know, I just, again, I'm with you. I don't think like, I don't think it really matters. I think the bulls are in a different place than us though i i think they do want to win uh, and i think they would like to make the playoffs and i don't think they're focused on the draft and i i think they may keep these guys and in, in an attempt to win i i think the next seven, six games and in, in this last game against portland i would have clumped them as like seven winnable games you had in a row it was mm-hmm. portland two against the knicks two against the magic one against the pelicans and uh i think maybe one other one that i'm missing in there that's only six games, whatever, either way. It's yeah, like seven games in a row that were winnable uh, without having the schedule up. And my thought was like, if the bulls do badly over this stretch, you probably need to start like facing reality and start saying, all right, we, we probably really need to rebuild this thing. And you know, what are we going to do? Are we really going to build around who on this roster and, and how are we going to get where we need to go? And, and then it becomes like, yeah, it, it's time to maybe trade Thad young for a pick or any of these other guys. Uh, and, and maybe, Maybe it's time to do that regardless, but I think if they're closer to 500, it's more likely they'll, they'll try and push for the playoffs. Yeah, and I think they'll, they're going to try to push for the playoffs too, and I think it's really just because Billy Donovan, um, his excellent coaching staff with guys like assistant coach Mo Cheeks, you know, they're guys who know how to get to the playoffs with a team that may be, I think, a little undermanned talent-wise just because at this point I think, you know, we, we've seen Billy Donovan prove he can do that. The reason, though, that I would think about still trading guys like that, um, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Fans should temper their expectations because obviously when you trade a guy like Thad Young, you know, you're looking at picks that possibly could be at the end of the first round, if even a first rounder, you know, like a 30th pick in the draft. Um, But what I think is so important for a team like the Bulls that now has this new look front office with Karnaschovas and, you know, great minds up front. I think that just gives you more ammo in the draft, obviously, when you have that 30th pick, the 26th pick plus whatever the Bulls pick ends up being. Now Karnaschovas has a little bit more ammo to maybe move up. Uh, if there's a guy he likes in the top seven, maybe the Bulls can move up a few picks. So I would look at trading those veterans just because I would like the flexibility to trade up. Uh, just because while there are, like you said, guys that fall in the draft, it's more about being able to have the flexibility to really target exactly who you want. Um, and I think for the Bulls, it is going to be about getting a star-type talent uh, really at point guard or at center 
uh, in this upcoming draft. But right now, this, in my opinion, would be a team that's obviously going to make the play-in tournament if you had a fully healthy roster. Um, and and that comes back to Wendell Carter Jr., which is, you know, availability is <laughs> the best avail- availability, which we've seen uh, the, the entire time in his career. So, Yeah, it's, it's tough always saying healthy this year because yeah. obviously every team – around the league is going to go through stretches where they lose multiple guys to COVID, you know, and just every year, everyone is going to have a certain amount of injuries. When you have less training camp and more games crammed in injuries are a little bit more likely than in, in a different season. So I, I think expecting there to be injuries is just part of the way life is going to go this season. Yeah. And, and the bulls have had their share of them already, not necessarily injuries, but you know, they had Larry out and Sato out and Hutch out and uh, you know, temple out and, uh, Thad out early. So, I mean, they've an auto out. So, I mean, we've had like a lot of different guys miss three, four games already, you know, like 25% of the games roughly. So it's not to, I expect that same type of thing will happen. Hopefully you don't have anyone that has a major injury, but it, it it's just one of those years where counting on health is always going to be a little bit of a, a challenge. I I'm up in the air about whether they can make the play in tournament. I think they can, you know, it's like, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you don't want to overreact to three losses and, you know, the one thing I'll say is it, I feel and there's a good chance the last two minute report is going to show that the Bulls that call shouldn't have been a jump ball. And oh, yeah, yeah. If, if, if it does, that will be the third game this season that the Bulls definitively lost due to bad calls in the last two minutes. You know, they, they, they had the it should have been an inbounds violation against Golden State. There was the Muscala three that sh- uh, was a foul that should have just been a miss. And uh, they would have definitely beat the Thunder without oh, that. Yeah, okay, yep. They would have definitely beat Golden State. And then this game, if that is on there, they would have definitely beat Portland. And if you go and say, like, man, three games you lost due to bad officiating, like, just, just that's, that's, that's extremely extreme. backbreaking. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, normally you just figure these things balance themselves out, you know, and I, I know the NBA is a difficult game to call. I don't, you know, I'm not like, saying all oh, the refs are awful or it's biased or fixed or anything like that. I mean, the NBA would love for Chicago to be good compared to all these teams we beat for the most part. Anyway, you know, it just, it's just a difficult game to call, but boy, that is, that is like a rough set of luck to go against you. If you definitively lose three games based on bad officiating and you look at the bulls record now at seven and 11. And if you, you spin that the other way, they'd be 10 and eight, you know, yeah, like, and then you're looking at a clear playoff team at that point. And, and that's 10 and eight at like a fair whistle, like, you know, like that, that's what it should have been with a fair whistle. We're not even talking about like, wow, what if the whistle went in their favor and yeah, they got with the benefits, got like a fair, yeah. <laughs> they were the beneficiary of like calls, you know, they would be tied for the fifth seed <laughs> on a fair whistle. Like that's, that's like insane. So when you start like, you know, it's, 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 it doesn't mean they'll make it up. Like maybe they'll get some calls in their favor later. Maybe they won't, who knows, but it's just like, man, that's, that's really rough when that type of thing uh, goes against you. Yeah, and the play-in tournament really does add an interesting element this year because for teams specifically like the Bulls this year of all seasons, um, you know, it really puts you as a fan in that interesting in-between spot because they really are just on the cusp of being a very clear, you know, lottery team or being a very clear play-in tournament, you know, get your hopes up for the postseason team. So, you know, because of Billy Donovan, I'm going to assume they're going to trend towards you know, being more competitive down the stretch once Carter returns. Um, but like you said, it's, it's tough to forecast health. So just as they look right now, realistically, I, I just don't. Know. Yeah. One thing hey, I'll say, like- one thing I'll <laughs> say about Donovan uh, to me is Donovan came in with a, a reputation of being a great players coach, 
a great mentor, someone, someone who teaches the game well and connects very well with players. One thing he did not come in with a great reputation for is being a basketball technician. And, yeah. and I think we've seen that in some of these losses. Like last night, like you didn't call timeout. Like if you advance the ball, uh, you know, they, they didn't challenge the jump ball. Now, Donovan did later say you can't challenge a jump ball. And I'm not sure if you can challenge a non-call. So maybe, maybe there was nothing you could do there to challenge. Um, yeah, on that one. But they didn't call a timeout. Like they didn't try. Like, like you would think you'd at least go to the ref and be like, Hey, I want to try to get a quick, yeah, yeah quick like stoppage. He, didn't, he didn't, he didn't attempt to challenge the call. So maybe he just was like completely certain of the rules, but like, I don't know. Yeah. And he, on that same note, I wanted to bring up the drop back defense, which, you know, I think preseason I've been like a champion of in, in terms of Donovan, just because I really think Wendell Carter can, you know, function in that type of defense. Um, I think Donovan's been a little bit more open to change than I expected. And I think he's tried to make little tweaks here and there. Um, but against Portland, it was clear from the beginning that a drop back defense wasn't going to work against Lillard, who obviously has range, you know, out to the parking lot. And, you know, in Donovan's defense, I think he has been telling the bigs to get up a little more on the guards instead of dropping back so deep. Um, and, you know, some of those shots, a player like Lillard, you know, is going to hit no matter what. Um, but Donovan needs to be making, I think, a greater effort stressing to the bigs to get up on those guards in the pick and roll. Because, I mean, it's very clear, and, every, and I know, you know, Donovan himself obviously knows it, but the drop back defense, there's really no purpose if, you know, the Bulls are, are giving up easy, easy three-point shots to the best shooters, which is the opposite of what they were doing last season. So yeah, it's just I, interesting to see that play out. I hate the drop defense. I hated it since I heard we were going to go with it. I, I think it's like the worst defense to play in the modern NBA. <laughs> I'm, I just, I'm not a fan at all. Like it's like all the teams are basically running out, uh, you know, incredible players who are ball handlers in the pick and roll who are incredible shooters and the drop defense to me, like if you can't fight over the screen and challenge that three point shot extremely well and, and the bulls personnel, certainly that's not their strength. Yeah. Like is, it's just like, like Donovan says, yeah, we're too weak at the point of attack. Well, no shit. Like, <laughs> well, like every, mean, like, every what did, night what, you're going to be, what did you, what did you expect it. going into this? Like you, you thought like Levine and Kobe white, were going to be dominant at the point of attack, cutting over screens. Like, and I it's funny because think- you, you bring up several things that actually touch on the, the, the big one is that I think my, my biggest fascination with the drop defense was Wendell Carter being able to sort of really handle Manning, like handling two men at once on defense. But to be honest, um, I wasn't necessarily expecting Chris Dunn to come back early on, but again, a player like Chris Dunn obviously can really function when you're talking about fighting over those screens. And I, I bring it up often that I think it really does hurt uh, that a player like Dunn wasn't even at least explored the possibility of coming back when you see some of those struggles uh, this year. And I think I want to say the reason I love drop back defense so much for the Bulls this season was I think it was a little bit of an overreaction to last season. Uh, with the heavy, aggressive trap defense, you know, just because I didn't want them to play that way anymore, I reverted to the other extreme, which is what <laughs> you said, allowing open shots to these great ball handlers when you're playing too heavy of a drop back. So um, they obviously need to meet somewhere in the middle. But I think what I'm starting to learn is I think Chris Dunn himself uh, was perhaps the best defense <laughs> and yeah. that, uh, you know, the system does matter. But as you, you just said, the most important point, Doug, which is, you know, we were hurt at the point of attack on defense. Well, every night <laughs> your personnel indicates you're going to be hurt at the point of attack. So it's not necessarily a huge mark against the new look regime for not retaining Chris Dunn, because I always like guys to get their players and not feel obligated to keep the players of the past regime. Um, 
But it's just with the way the team is built right now, it's tough for me to see why Dunn wasn't at least really like, you know, talked to about coming back. But Yeah, and I, I think Harrison would have been the the other guy I would have considered instead of Dunn just because he was cheaper and Oh, whatever. fair fair point, Shaq but, Harrison. Yeah. But I mean that the money wasn't gonna make a big difference either way, right? Like you yeah. you, you didn't do anything else with the free agent money and they were all gonna be gone next year, so the the money didn't really matter. It kind of is just which player you liked. But uh, the, to me, I think if I was going to choose a defense, I, I'm generally a fan of the like just hedging the pick and roll and, you know, kind of, um, you know, doubling and recovering, you know, okay, like yeah, kind the, of scrambling the, on the back, you know, have yeah. the have the big man show. And then after your guard is, is back in position, have him fight back. And, you know, that leaves you open to a good pass to the opposing big man who can then if you don't have a good rotation, then has you know a good shot. And if you do have a rotation, then he's one pass away from the guy who rotated making a good shot and whatever. Like every defense can be exploited, you know. Like exactly. not yeah. to say like any anything super bold here. You know, it's just right. really what you want to give up. And 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 to me, if you're gonna if you're going to uh show and recover, you're you're giving up like the big man rolling to the basket. And yeah, in this day and age, I'd rather do that than give up, you know, the guard having a better look. You know, I'd yeah, rather which, try and force the ball out of the guard's hand, especially against someone like Damian Lillard, exactly. and especially with the guys on that team. But even most nights, like most nights, I'd rather take whoever the non-guard is getting a, a shot than I would having the guard, you know, take a shot. But yeah, he's usually going to get his regardless. But playing that sort of defense, you know, he got 44 points on 26 shots. So he yeah, was really just feasting, getting anything he wanted. Yeah. And whatever it's, it's, Dame's a special player. Like, some yeah, I think shots, I think the biggest shots had nothing to do with the defense either. Like, yeah, exactly. he pulls up from like thirty-five feet. You're like, okay, like, what do you? There's no defense that does that other than just like just swarm him like at the half yeah. court. Just, just praying when a guy's ball. pulling up from half court, like or yeah. box him, one him, or something. I mean, like it, that would be like an actual thing you could do against Portland and maybe be successful. Like, even the rest of the roster, like, yeah, you know, the Raptors defense on uh, Stephen Curry. Uh, in in the finals uh, a couple of years back, like you just like yeah, just just anyone just else. You see if anyone else can beat us. Anyone but you is going to have to beat us. He could be wide open trying to make dunks, but we're going to take that over you beating us. And I uh, couldn't get it done. And I would I'd be okay with that against the Blazers. Like and there and there were a number of weird things, like you said, uh, or not even weird, but just Dame, you know, going off the the late whistle, weird from the ref. Um, but I think the biggest thing this game illustrated is sort of what the conversation we just had illustrated and what the roster does, which is Billy Donovan does have to be a little bit more flexible uh, with the rotations and with the strategies he's going with night to night. So we're really going to get to see his his coaching acumen, I think, um, especially over this upcoming stretch. Yeah. So I'm going to maybe we've, we've spent probably a lot of time on a single game recap. It was an exciting game with a crazy ending, so that kind of makes sense. So a few just different notes. So one, there was a, a clickbait article saying the, the Knicks are monitoring the Zach Levine situation, which I think people just write anything and include the Knicks because then they just get like a thousand times more headlines than if they said like the, the Hornets or, you know, the, some the Pelicans or something or you know, Thunder, <laughs> yeah. like who cares? But if the Knicks is, if the Knicks are monitoring it, then yes, there'll be lots of people in New York who are like, I'm interested in this now and we'll, and we'll read it. Uh, but if you do look at the Knicks, it's not entirely insane. Uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau would love to make a win now trade. I think at any point in his life, if he could win three extra games, he'd he'd give up his firstborn son <laughs> to do so. So, you know, like it wouldn't surprise me if the Knicks said like, hey, let's let's jump all, all in on this. And they're nine and 11 now. So they're they're currently tied for eighth. And if they got a shot in the arm, they could make the playoffs. And the Knicks haven't done that in quite a while. So they'd probably be at least a little bit excited for that. Uh, and so I wouldn't be entirely crazy uh, surprised if, if they did that. And uh, it, 
if you look at the Knicks, so what they have is they've got two picks from the Dallas Mavericks, and they have, of course, all their own draft picks. And then they got, you know, they're probably not going to give you R.J. Barrett. And then they've got spare parts that you probably don't really care a whole lot about. I don't, I don't know if there's anything else on there. So let's just talk about this Dallas pick for a moment, because going into the season, if someone said, oh, the Knicks will give you this Dallas pick in their own pick, maybe I'd be like, ah, that kind of sucks. I'm not really too excited about that. But Dallas is all of a sudden, they're eight and 12 right now. Their pick right now is eighth. Yeah, and now draft. things and look it's, a it's lot different. Unprotect- mm-hmm. It's unprotected as well. You know, and if you're at eighth, like, all right, eighth maybe is not super exciting, but there is a chance that they could win the lottery at eighth. It's like not crazy anymore. Like the odds, I could the, cumulatively, I'd have to go over to Tankathon and, and look it up and, you know, I'll, I'll try and like stall for time while I do that. But <laughs> the odds, like cumulatively, of them winning the lottery are no longer like so bad with those, the, with the pick in that spot. Uh, presently, I think that's, uh, total chance of like 22 percent of them moving up okay at the eighth pick. Yeah. yeah so i mean like you have a, a almost a one in four shot of still moving up and then if your own pick is sitting there at six all of a sudden you got like a it's about a one in three chance overall or something like that you've you're you're all of a sudden like yeah, maybe like 50 50 one of those picks you know clicks and then you can get that you know star in the draft uh would you be willing to take the knicks number one and the dallas number one both unprotected this year for Zach Levine in a trade at the deadline. If the bulls are falling out of contention and the Knicks are interested in making such a trade. Um, my, my knee jerk reaction um, is still no. Uh, and it's just because off the top of my head, um, it's funny because I, I want to shout out uh, Peter Bonella, who I host the brief bulls podcast with my, my podcast that's on my Twitter um, and we sort of discussed the, the same thing, the rumors. I think the Nets were somehow also connected, even though the Nets have absolutely nothing to trade nothing. to anyone. Nothing at all. Um, yeah, Hopes so. and prayers. That's <laughs> yeah. what they're trading. <laughs> yeah, maybe some of Kyrie's sage. So uh, we just ignored that one. But yeah, with the Knicks, I'm very interested when you talk about that Dallas pick. Um, I consider myself a draft guy, but this has been such a weird year. I haven't been in it as deep. But at 8 to 10 in this draft, you could still probably end up getting some very, very talented guys. Um, but the reason I don't do it is it comes down to this. And you just have to think of, you know, what, what, is both, what are both teams getting in the immediate? Um, the Knicks are obviously getting better. Um, as the Chicago Bulls, you're making the New York Knicks a more competitive team uh, because obviously they got something good going right now with Tom Thibodeau. Uh, similar to the Bulls have something good going with Billy Donovan. And – they consider themselves, obviously, under Thibodeau, a defensive team, and they get by with just enough on offense with uh, Julius Randle playing out of his mind this year and players like uh, R.J. Barrett shooting a little bit better than you'd expect in certain situations. So Zach Levine would help the Knicks probably, you know, really, I think, have a legit shot at getting that eight seat this year or at least making some noise in the play-in tournament. Now, when you look at what Chicago's getting, obviously those picks are awesome. You're getting a lot of ammo to move up in the draft. You're getting a bunch of different picks. Um, the only way I would do this if you're Chicago is if you're very much, you know, the front office, you're convinced that Lowry Markinen is a first option and a star player. Because when you move off of Levine's money, um, you know, you re-sign Markinen to a deal as big as you want. And now you can go with those draft picks and draft all the perfect complimentary, you know, not complimentary players, but complimentary talents that will go next to marketing uh, rather than fitting next to Levine. But in my honest opinion, I don't think right now that option makes you a better team than if you just stay put with what you have right now, Uh, because the obvious elephant in the room is the bulls are going to likely get a lottery pick, you know, if they keep the roster they have right now. 
And honestly, I'd rather have Zach Levine at a top 10 pick uh, than no Zach Levine in, in two top 10 picks without knowing, like you said, that it's guaranteed to be top three or anything. Yeah. The one thing I'll add on to this, and I think I'd also still say no, um, but yeah. the, the one thing I'll add on to this is like, I just don't trust Dallas to stay this bad. Yeah. Like, and that's actually kinda, yeah, a big part. I, and I feel like Dallas will, will play themselves out of this and then they're going to get a non-lotto pick from Dallas. And then, you know, what, what do you really have then? Uh, and it's, it's, it's not that exciting. So that, that to me is the big fear. But if, if we were sitting here at the trade deadline and something has happened, Dallas has had like permanent injuries, like, and they're, they're like trending around seventh and you kind of feel like that is who they are this year because of other factors that now seem more known rather than unknown. I would at least consider it at that point. Like if I, if I thought I'm going to enter the lottery with the eighth pick odds from Dallas, you know, if I thought at the time of trade that those are the odds I'm going to get, and I'm going to say there's a 50, 50 chance that New York is going to be, you know, say like the, like ninth, 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 tenth team in the East. And, you know, give me something like the 11th best odds, you know, say, say something like that. Uh, and I was going to get the, the eighth and 11th odds in the draft. I'd probably take it. Like if, if the bulls, and I guess the other thing is if the bulls also fall off and I'm like, yeah, they're not exciting. You know, like if, if we can't get to close to 500 with this roster, you know, regardless of what you have with Levine and everyone else, I, I kind of feel like you just got to say like, it's time to do something else. Yeah, and I admit that, like, the reason I'm saying no to the trade is, like, Levine, though he isn't the player I want him to be yet, he has made improvements that have impressed me this year, especially, yes. obviously, um, when it comes to playmaking. But like you just said, when you mentioned the possibility, three lottery picks in this upcoming draft would be a little bit of an absurd value, if I'm just being, like, absolutely honest. Like, this draft specifically. Yeah, um, it's a, tough, you it's a really, great draft. It's a great draft to have a lot and of you could, And you could go in a number of directions. You could even maybe flip some of those picks and get Bradley Beal. Now you just technically traded Levine for Beal. So who, who knows? Yeah, it'd, it'd be interesting. I, a lot of things would have to happen for me to consider the trade, but it's not, like, out of the realm of possibility. But I'm, I'm warming to Zach. The thing is, like, Zach needs a player next to him that we can't really obtain. And that's like, he needs a, a star point guard next to him. Yeah. Zach Levine with a star point guard that also was like a good defender next to him would just be unbelievable. Like, and it's, unbelievable. it's funny because when, when you say that, it really brings up why um, I'm so into not really into the idea of trading anything right now, but when it comes to trades for the bulls, I'm much more into the idea of trading the role players and then trading the young core players, not named Zach Levine, because I want as many tickets in this lottery as I can to get um, really just off the top of my head, the two point guards who I think will change franchises, uh, Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma state, and then Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. I think most people are at least somewhat surface level familiar with those names, but those two guys are really big point guards, really great defensively, which is a big deal, obviously for Chicago. And if they were to land either one of those guys, I'm not saying they'd be this awesome team all of a sudden, but you really couldn't build more of a perfect player to put next to Zach Levine than than one of those two guys. You you look at how well Zach has played. And I I put, I have this thing that I've talked about a couple of times and I call it the Kobe white factor, which is, I think Kobe white has generally been awful. (laughs) <laughs> but what he does do is he creates a lot of gravity because he shoots a lot and he can get hot and teams pay attention to him. And they, and he can kind of like get his own shot off unlike Sadoransky and he'll take his own shot. So teams have to pay a lot of attention to him and you see Zach now and he's just like off the ball a lot and he feasts in this role where he, and like, so if you just imagine someone like Kobe white, except he's also an efficient scorer and, and, a, and a, a good facilitator, like a smart, good passer, 
Yeah. Like, but just had that same level of gravity. And you'd be like, oh my God, like Zach Levine would be unstoppable. Like you look yeah, at last and, night, and he's like and, 12 shots, 26 points. And like, then you make that same player be a plus defender who occasionally yeah. can take Zach's matchup. Now you talk about Levine being probably a clear all-star every year just because the Bulls are a competitive team that people pay attention to. And yeah. you have a guy who's scoring a lot. Yeah. So I, I think you need Zach to be in just the right situation, but like, it's very clear to me, like, like I, and, and this is going to sound retarded. So I mm-hmm. apologize for that. But like, if you put him next to LeBron, yeah, like, Oh my God, <laughs> yeah. would Zach Levine be like unbelievable. Right. Because like LeBron would do like, all right, no, he's going to, he can just play point guard. He's a really big guy. He can like, all Zach has to do is like get open and then like destroy the other team, like given like a little bit of breathing room. And like the only time Zach Levine is hurt to me, it's when he's crowded and all of a sudden his handle isn't quite tight enough and he turns the ball over a little bit too much. He makes kind of bad decisions passing the ball. But when Zach Levine just has a little bit of room, it's like, oh my goodness, does that dude cook? Yeah, so and I think like the, reason you're, uh, the reason you're next to LeBron sort of comparison is so – I think it makes so much sense to me. Like, you know, besides obviously the obvious reason, it's LeBron. It's LeBron. But, like, yeah, just, it's, just get it's the next Le- LeBron. It's, Everything it's LeBron. will turn out. But, yeah, which is, but, which is but, silly. That's why I said it's silly to say that because he's so but, good. But one of the things I think of most when I think of – it's funny, just when I think of Zach Levine, then when I think of LeBron. LeBron, I think of, you know, him in transition, just under control – full speed coming at you violently fast, but he knows exactly what he's about to do. And Zach Levine, I think of him coming down, you know, full speed violently, but as he's just as often to make sort of a boneheaded mistake as he is to really make a beautiful transition play. So you put Levine next to a guy like LeBron, or like you said, anyone really just for argument's sake, who can really like handle the playmaking duties. And all of a sudden Levine's one of the most dangerous transition players in the league because, you know, there's less thinking on his, part in terms of like looking for other guys shot he can just focus on what he does best which is really I think finding open pockets in the defense um, for his own shots because as you said when I watch Zach Levine off ball he's one of the better players I think off ball IQ in terms of like knowing how to space the floor when to cut he's just never had the guy to execute those types of passes so yeah yeah, it, it would be great to see and so saying you need a superstar next to Zach to be a great team like, yeah, okay. But my point there is really like Zach could be that number two scorer. Like, I think he could be the number two scorer on a title team. You, you'd need probably a third player that's about as good as Zach and one player better than Zach. And I think you could, you would be a title contender. With, yeah, with I would actually, like I would actually agree with that. And it's funny because I, I know some people who are like just outside of this conversation would still say we're probably overdoing it. But the thing is, last year, I would have said, you know, no, Levine will probably need to be your third or fourth best guy on the title team. But the way he's playing this season, passing the ball and scoring at a ridiculously efficient clip, I would agree with your assessment exactly. I think he can be that second or third banana on a title team. You would just need to have the exact, you know, complimentary players yeah. you would need and, and at least one superstar better than him. And it's so difficult to obtain that, right? Like, yeah. it's not, it, yeah. he's, he's not like a guy you can just like, like Anthony Davis, you just throw him on any team and he's an amazing fit. Like, like Joel Embiid, you throw him on any team and he's like an amazing fit. Like certain guys, like they just like exemplify their position in such a way that you don't have to worry at all about building around them. And this is like sort of the, the complete opposite player. But if you took, look at someone like LaMelo ball, if he pans out into a great player in the future, he'll be a guy like Zach Levine. Who's like, yeah, he could be a great player, but boy, you, you got to figure out how to compensate for the things he doesn't do because he's got a lot, like a lot of weird flaws too. Like, and, and it's so funny bring going, a lot of great strengths and totally opposite strengths as Zach. 
but like he's you you'll have to figure out a way to mesh him with guys that fit around him and Zach is a player like that you're going to need special guys around him and so for that reason if the Bulls don't feel they can obtain that I'm okay moving him as long as they get you know a real package back I mean he should be traded now at like a a all-star type return not a superstar type return maybe not like a James Harden type return but like you know like he's I'd say I'd take Zach Levine over Drew Holiday at at this point I think I would too, but what's given me faith in really, you know, Zach Levine not being worth a James Harden type return, but at least nearing that is I think of a, I like that you brought up LaMelo Ball because I look at sort of the other end of the spectrum on the veteran end, Bradley Beal. Um, obviously there's lots of rumors and things connected to Bradley Beal because the Wizards have been objectively awful. And I was thinking the other day, if you swap Bradley Beal and Zach Levine, obviously, you know, off the top of your head, Bradley Beal, he, he's the better player. But is Bradley Beal really pushing the needle that much for the Bulls with the same roster as is with Bradley Beal? Um, so, you know, because of that, it really gives me faith that you can build a winning team around Zach because obviously we've seen the Wizards be a competitive team with Bradley Beal, but obviously they had a superstar point guard yeah. um, ne- next to him. So, Bad you know, I, I have a lot of faith. <laughs> Russell Westbrook a superstar anymore? Come on. Oh, I, 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 I'm past the point of saying mean things about Westbrook because it's just, <laughs> it's just sad, man. It's just sad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. These guys like Westbrook and uh, like Iverson is another one who just like they were dominant in a lot of ways, but you always wondered like are they, they needed very particular setups to be really dominant. And as they got age, that setup didn't work as well. Like like Westbrook, Westbrook needs to be the center of the universe. And everything needs to be built around him for things to go. And like Iverson was a little bit the same way. And as they slowed down just a step, all of a sudden it no longer made sense to build around them that way. And then you realize like they don't really have a game that is good if you don't. Like they don't contribute in a in a way, in a role player way at all. And yeah, uh, and it's it, kind of obvious and it, it would seem in today's league like extremely obvious, but everyone knows the importance of shooting. Um, but I think that's really what the tale of Westbrook, you know, ends up being is I think right now, I don't know, the last time I checked, he was shooting like 37% from the field, just something that was just like ridiculously bad. Yeah. And obviously, he's never been a strong shooter. But as he gets older, you really see that go. And now teams just have no need to pay attention to him, um, as opposed to a guy like Clay Thompson, who obviously we have to wait and see, but I just can't ever really envision Clay being a bad player, because I think at the least, you always have to worry about him as a spot up shooter. So same reason, guys like Zach Levine and anyone who can shoot you know I think they age gracefully into that yeah. back end of the career and you, you see the opposite end of yeah. that as soon as you lose your athleticism a little bit the thing is like Westbrook could score somewhat efficiently because he could drive and now that that is gone a little bit and he's no longer a threat to dominate by driving then all of a sudden yeah he doesn't have the shooting to pick up for it and it, it becomes problematic and I, I agree it's just a change in the way the NBA has gone so I'm gonna move on to uh, some Kobe White discussion we, we've touched on Kobe a little bit. Here's the theory I have. Now, people have said you got to get Kobe out of the starting lineup. You know, how long can you go with this lousy point guard? He's maybe hindering the development of other players, right? Because he's not a good passer. He plays with blinders on a lot. You can kind of tell like, yep, this is a play he's going to pass. This is a play he's going to shoot. Like, he, So he's got got some challenges there. And I've, I've said a couple couple things I say this. One, like we already kind of know Sadoransky is not a starting caliber point guard. Like I think people are overstating how good he would be if you swapped them. And, and I feel like it'd be a little bit like everyone loved Daniel Gafford off the bench, but then Daniel Gafford as a starter was a train wreck. I yeah. think Sadoransky would kind of end up being the same way. But ignoring that, here's another thing I'm going to throw out there. Kobe White, maybe not a great passer, but I mentioned earlier Kobe White's gravity 
And I think that gravity actually makes up for the fact that he's not a great passer compared to Sadaransky, who is, I think, a better passer, a, a better natural point guard, but doesn't create much off the bounce and is scared to shoot. And, and people just never have to throw two guys at him and isn't going to be a real threat even off a of pick and roll. Like, so I, th- I think Kobe White's threat actually compensates for his lack of passing ability. I don't know if there's anyone on the Bulls roster who's better as a starting point guard than Kobe White. And what are your thoughts? Am I, am I crazy for saying that even, even with Kobe's flaws? Um, I, I do not think at all uh, you're crazy for saying that. I, I think Kobe White, the way the Bulls are constructed right now, I think you almost have to ride with Kobe White as the starting point guard just because this is, you know, we hate to hear the term evaluation season, but with a good coaching staff, this is truly the evaluation season uh, to see if Kobe White is able to be a starting caliber playmaker. Um, but I do have a suggestion that I would think of for the starting lineup, and most people would probably kill me for this. But the thing is, it's a little bit of like, it's not a tank move. It's not a win now move. It's maybe a little bit of both. But (laughs) my general point is I'm all about the development of the players. And I do think Kobe White coming off the bench is fine. um, If you give him enough minutes to still play actual a point guard role. But I would want to know what's the possibility of Denzel Valentine going into the starting point guard role for a five game stretch to see what happens. Because my thought process is this. Denzel Valentine defensively, is, you know, amazingly, I feel like I think he's trying pretty hard this year and isn't, you know, terrible as a defender. He's not going to ever guard any starting point guards. Um, So your defense is probably going to be more of a train wreck than usual because you have Zach Levine guarding the starting point guard every night. He's guarding the point of attack. But maybe I'm wrong. I think last year and maybe the year before, Zach Levine spends a lot of time (laughs) uh, guarding the best player on the opposing team or, or guarding the primary ball handler. Um, even though I don't think he necessarily should. But if he does anyway, I'd like to see Levine guard ones. I'd like to see Valentine play point guard on offense because Denzel Valentine is objectively one of the better passers on the team. Uh, I believe he's second on the team in assist to turnover ratio. So again, it feels amazing to say this, but one of the things Denzel Valentine is going to do on offense is he's going to help you limit your turnovers and your mistakes and just keep the ball moving. So I think it either goes one of two ways. Either Denzel Valentine is, you know, so good at passing that, you know, he makes up for the lack of a starting point guard and the Bulls offense is so good they start winning games. Or the fact that Denzel Valentine is a good passer doesn't make up for the fact that you still don't have a true point guard and the Bulls go on an extreme losing streak and you're a rebuilding team anyway. So, you know, I I think you sort of got to have to see how it goes. But I do think Denzel Valentine is such a talented playmaker. I think on the Bulls, I'm – I'm always shocked that he doesn't get more playing time still. I, I didn't realize I was recording the big red bus with Fred Pfeiffer here. I, I, <laughs> I feel like, I, I feel I like legitimately... that's like, in like a time warp. I don't know if, if like Fred is texting you while we're talking. I don't I, like, I'm, I'm curious if like someone's going to jump out of my basement and tell me I'm being punked. I, I can't, I can't believe we're talking Denzel as a starter. I, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. And when you said you had a surprise guy, I'm like, Oh, he's going to go either Valentine or temple. And then you said, you know, because it's a developmental year and I'm like, yep, he's going to go Valentine. I, I see it. I, the thing to me, I think is probably true. And I think you would see right away if you tried it is that Denzel Valentine is not a starting caliber point guard. As soon as you play him against starters and his assist to turnover ratio would just go to hell. Like, I think <laughs> it would just like fall off a wagon real fast. Like it, it would not take you a whole lot of evaluation to discover that this isn't going to work when Denzel plays real minutes against uh, the, the opposing starters. 
But what you do do in that case, if Denzel, and, and that is true against like obviously much higher caliber competition, uh, you might see that assist to turnover ratio fall. But Denzel, the one thing we do know is he is going to take and make some absurd threes and just threes in general. Um, obviously, I think this year he's shooting, I want to say, if I want to check, I think 38% from the three-point line. He's only taken four a game, so he's not high volume by any means. But I think, again, Kobe has that same gravity. I think Denzel isn't giving you, obviously, anywhere near the same gravity. But I think it's almost like a let's throw him out there and see situation uh, just because, I don't know, I have a weird, irrational belief in Denzel Valentine <laughs> because of some of the passes he makes. Um, that almost has me, uh, I have my big red bus glasses on sometimes when Denzel makes a great play. But it's almost a sneaky tank move at the same time, because like you said, it's just as likely to blow up in your face. Um, and I don't want to mess too much with Kobe's confidence and yanking him in and out of the lineup. So it's not something I would seriously consider, but it's something I would look at if Billy is just, you know, like you said, thinking about shaking up the lineup by any means. If we get to the end of the year and like the team is looking bad, I'd be like, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, throw, throw things, it out there. The couple things I'll say about that though, in general, is uh, one, uh, Denzel is not a um, not a restricted free agent. I mean, he's an unrestricted free agent next year because he played in the qualifying offer this year. So, you know, with that being said, I'd be a mm-hmm. little bit nervous about like, you know, where you really want to tie in uh, developmental resources into Denzel because. Uh, his, contract year Denzel <laughs> yeah, yeah well I mean even even ignoring the contract year there's like a fair chance he's just going to be gone yeah in you general know, so, not so, a part of your future so yeah. he's not part of your future either way and and so if that's the case then you know like why do I really want to uh you know tie up all these resources in, into Denzel and you know that's the that's the the piece that like makes me feel like a little bit uh a little bit so wary of it about uh about Denzel so I would I would be a little bit nervous for that reason. Uh, but outside of that, you know, I kind of feel like, yeah, I, I get it. Like, yeah, you could try something. I just, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't, I can't, I, mean, I can't get behind I mean, it. I just can't. I'm trying to talk funny. myself into it, but I, I just don't see how I can do it. It's funny because the more you talk about it, it is really like, and, you know, just to like label it what it is and not like, oh yeah, tank strategy, but it's really a strategy, something you look at in the event of Wendell Carter's out and it doesn't feel like much is going on right now because, you know, once Wendell Carter's back and like you said, you know, things are sort of not the status quo, but the Bulls are the Bulls again. Um, the way this team is competing, you don't want to make a move like that where you're sort of dramatically almost like blowing things up uh, down the stretch. But we'll see. I mean, Wendell Carter is only out, I think it's three or four weeks, but it's so funny when Carter's out, each game feels like a month to me. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be it, it, it's going to be tough. I I think it'll be tough without Carter, but again, I think everyone else is going to be having these like similar types of uh situations where you yeah, just yeah. you're just kind of stuck and you got to you got to play things as as they they are. And uh yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens with uh with uh, the Bulls over the next 7 games. Is there any point or maybe I should say there's probably a point that hits all of us, but mm-hmm. at what point would you say I'm willing to actively tank? Oh, man, let's see. At what point would I say I'm willing to actively tank? Well, right now, um, despite my Denzel Valentine starting lineup suggestion, I'm not <laughs> I'm not there uh, yet. But it's weird to almost say, like, so soon, because obviously, you know, it's a weird season. But I'm almost at the point where more than a point in the season, it's about the teams. 
Um, and I think I almost want to see the Bulls get through these next 10 games, which sounds, again, like a super short stretch. But I think after the next 10 games, I'll have an idea of sort of where I stand on it. Because the next four games, you know, you got the two games set with the Knicks, the two games set with Orlando, who won't have Markel Fultz. So it's a team that, you know, obviously much better than the Bulls right now, but they also are dealing without having to lead playmaker. It's a lot of teams in this, you know, upcoming stretch where I think the Bulls should look at least decent, even, you know, with Carter or anyone out, because as you said, you know, injuries happen to everyone. So if the Bulls go on, let's say, you know, a six, seven game losing streak anywhere in this next stretch, I think I would start to really think about trading the veterans um, just to, to any teams that can offer you any first round draft pick compensation. And again, it's just at this point, I'm looking at first round picks as additional ammo to try to move up further in the draft uh, with the Bulls pick, which I also expect to be a lottery pick. So I would say maybe 10 to 15 more games. If it doesn't seem like the Bulls have a shot at really being a true 500 team, uh, I would start exploring the trade market. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think at any point where I feel like you can't get in the playing tournament, then it's like, yeah, might as well go bad. What's interesting is there's not yeah. a lot of t- teams that are like, truly bad in the league this year like i think there's there's a chance to like there's a lot of teams that are all kind of like clumped together and maybe it's this covid year and the weird weird kind of things that are are going on but like you look at right now at the bulls at like 7-eleven you know there's they're at 11th currently the raptors and heat are teams you wouldn't be surprised and kind of expect to pass the bulls who are seven and twelve yeah. And then after that, it's like there's the Pistons and Wizards who are like really bad and maybe the Bulls can't catch them. And then you go look in the, the West and it's like the Pelicans are 7-11 and you kind of feel like they've underperformed. The Mavericks are 8-12. and so You feel like they've underperformed and can move up. Uh, and then it's like the Timberwolves are 4-14. and So like really, it w- like if you said, you know what, this ain't going to work, I think you could pretty easily get down to fourth uh, you know, like with, without a lot of effort. You know, so it's, it, if you are into tanking, like sometimes it's like, you really got to get in early. Cause like a lot of teams are going at it. And I think the new lotto odds might be scaring teams away, which is great. Yeah. I, I think that's good. And it scares me away from that as a strategy, but I agree with you. My thought is we had these seven games I mentioned earlier that I thought were winnable. And if they came out two and five out of that stretch, I was thinking like, yeah, it's just time. I don't care. Just see who you can trade. Just start looking to make trades, get draft capital you know, don't, don't focus on this season. Like if we can't do well against the Knicks and the magic and the Pelicans and the Blazers or whatever, like we can't beat these teams and, and come out at least 500 over these games that it's probably just not in the cards. Let's just, uh, let's just, just set it up for next year, figure out how we can reshape this whole roster with new management and then go from there. Yeah. And though I'm not there yet, the reason that I'm so in on, you know, maybe not necessarily like all out tank, but in on going to a tank like proposition this year is because you know, going into a tank year with a coach like Jim Boylan, where you're like, you know, I'm tanking, but what is this rookie going to come into when he comes to the franchise versus now, you know, taking with Billy Donovan. And it's like, you know, if the Bulls get a very talented prospect, I think you have a pretty good idea that Billy Donovan is at least somewhat of a good talent evaluator and a head coach where he can at least get the most out of your draft pick. So I'm very confident in and Billy Donovan and sort of the infrastructure the Bulls have set up right now. So that gives me more confidence than, you know, this year's draft than really anything else going on with the team right now, sort of who they have up top. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. 
All right. I, you know, I don't really have anything else. Like I, I, we probably talked for an hour. People have turned off like half hours ago because, <laughs> because of me, you know, just, just rambling on too much. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Michael. Uh, you got to uh, tell the people where they can find you. You're all over the place and I've already screwed up once. So, you <laughs> no. know, give, give the byline. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, as always, definitely follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's Michael Walton or at Zen Master Mike. Um, and then, yeah, please follow the Action Network. Uh, get all your sports betting advice from there, please. And then also go shout out uh, the team at Bulls Confidential. Uh, we got lots of great Bulls content up there. And uh, like I said, yeah, shout out my co-editor, Jeffrey Clark. De- Delane McClurkin does some great stories. And Ryan Borjas, our salary cap specialist. And he has a lot of great salary cap stuff on Twitter. So I definitely give him a follow as well. But um, yeah, thanks for having me on, Doug. It's really been a lot of fun, man. All right, Michael. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do it again soon. All right. Awesome. Take it easy.